All right. Good morning. As Jim said, my name is Brian, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a privilege that uh, Jim allows me to speak. It's not very common to see in uh, churches, you know, around the state and of our size where you have multiple people that get to have the opportunity to preach and teach, and so I feel privileged that Jim allows me to get up here and to say a few things and crack a few jokes every now and then, so... um, that's that. But we're starting a new series, as we said, it's called 90. And if you think about it, 90 seconds, right? It seems short, but a lot can change in, in 90 seconds or 90 minutes, right? You can watch a great movie in about 90 minutes on average, or, or it could be 90 feet. It took about 90 feet for me to get from my door to the ice patch in my driveway where I slipped and fell and nailed my elbow and, and just laid there in, in utter embarrassment, hoping that the neighbors weren't looking at me laying in the middle of the driveway. But 90 can be a lot of things. Life can change in 90. And so we're going to look over the next 90 days, and, and that 90 started a few days ago, so don't get out your calculator and figure out that today is not 90 days away from Easter. But right around 90 days from now until Easter, and we're going to be looking at the life of Jesus. We're going to look at some of his most significant events, the things that happened along the way from when he was born until the day of his death and then what happened after that. But we're going to look at some of the interactions that he had with other people and the events and and some of the big milestones of his ministry. But what we're going to learn, and hopefully today, is this is kind of a kickoff, and so this is a, a 12-week series, okay? And, and as you start a 12-week series, you kind of have to lay a little bit of foundational work, a little groundwork. So today we're going to kind of get into what is this all about? And the truth is, is that we believe that Jesus came to start something brand new. And if you've been with us for a long time, that phrase might sound a little familiar to you because we did a whole series kind of on this topic called brand new. So if you've been with us, you've heard this before, but we believe Jesus came to introduce something brand new to the world. That when he stepped on the pages of history, he brought something brand new to the world, and he actually brought something brand new for the world. That when Jesus came in, he didn't try to say, okay, I'm going to, like, we have this Bible here of all these old stories, and I'm going to write, like, the second chapter of that. Like, I'm going to kind of carry on this new thing and pick up the torch. He didn't come to to create, you know, Judaism 2.0. He came to start something completely new, completely different from the status quo. But before we get kind of too far into who Jesus is and, and all of that, we need to kind of set the stage, like I said. And, and everybody, if you've been to a concert before, right, you've been to a concert, you go to see the band, and, and they're the headliner, and they're like the one everyone's there for, but usually there's an opener, right, an opening act, someone that no one's really heard of, but they're there just to kind of warm the place up, you know, get the kinks out of the soundboard, they're not going to sound as good, but someone who just kind of gets the show started, And in our story, that's John the Baptist. He's kind of the opening act. He's the one that gets this whole story kicked off. And if you know much about John the Baptist, Baptist wasn't his last name. Okay, he didn't choose that because he wasn't, you know, he didn't want to be John, you know, the Wesleyan or John the Methodist or something like that. He was John the Baptist. It was a nickname because he was baptizing people. And that might not sound real strange to you and I because baptism is a pretty common occurrence. Like a lot of you in this room have been baptized, maybe as a baby, maybe as an adult or a child. But baptism is something that we've all, we're all familiar with. But at this time period, John the Baptist was doing something really weird, really radical, something kind of totally new to what was going on in the first century because baptism was very, a very specific thing that you did in the temple first off 
and it was a very personal experience, and it's when someone was becoming Jewish. Okay, if you were to become Jewish, you had to eat this special meal, you kind of went through classes, you had to learn all this stuff, and then it ended with baptism where you were by yourself, okay, you're not with a whole crowd of people, you're by yourself, and it's a ceremonial washing, okay, it's like a very big deal where you're essentially putting off your Gentileness, like you're dead to your Gentileness, you're being cleansed and you're becoming Jewish, you're bringing on the fullness of what it means to be Jewish. And so that was baptism. But John is really the first that we know of recorded person that's actually physically dunking people underwater and bringing them up in baptism, touching them and dunking them under. So that's why they're like, this guy, he's doing this weird thing. We, just, we call him John the Baptist. He's kind of an odd guy. If you've read uh, the scriptures about him, they say that he was wearing like a, a camel skin or camel hair outfit. Like they, they say that because that's weird. Okay, like most people weren't wearing camel's hair. If you try to think of all the animals that you could make clothes out of, camels were not one on the top of the list. So that's a little bit odd, right? And it says that he, you know, lived out in the wilderness. He's eating bugs, right? He eats locusts, wild honey. It's January still. Some people might have started the whole 30, right? You know, if you think that's hard, try eating locusts and wild honey. Like that's a weird diet to stick to. And that's John. He's just out there in the middle of nowhere, and he's baptizing people. And this kind of went along for him, and that's how he got this nickname. But we're not done with him, but we're going to get to some scripture. And this morning, we're going to cover a lot of scripture, okay? And I'm going to try my best to kind of keep you guys along with me so that we can stay engaged and all that stuff. We have a lot to cover this morning, and we're going to go through the Gospels. That's the life of Jesus. If you're new to Christianity and this whole thing, then we invite you to, over the next uh, 12 weeks, to crack open that Bible, and it has words that hopefully you can read, and I encourage you to, to follow along with us. Read throughout the week. Get ahead of where we're at. Research this for yourself. And there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And every time we talk about Luke, he's the one that he's like the, res the researcher. He's the historian of the bunch. He wasn't there with Jesus, but he researched it. And he begins his gospel by saying, like, I've researched all of this stuff. I know what I'm talking about. I did interviews. I researched it all. And so I, I know what was going on among our midst, he says. And he did all this work. And he starts talking about John the Baptist this way. He says, in the 15th year, okay, so he's setting the time period. In the 15th year, in the reign of Tiberius Caesar, okay, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, all of Judea, that huge area, and then Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Icheria, and Traconius, or Traconitus, there we go, and Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. And if you're like me, you've probably fallen asleep already. When you, read, when you get to this part in, in the scripture, you tend to just kind of glance over it, and you're like, I don't need to know these names. Unless you know someone who's having a baby, then you could say, hey, you should name your kid, your kid uh, Caiaphas. I think that would be a great name, right? There's some weird names, and we kind of glaze over this when we get to this. But what's so important about this is Luke is saying, this is when it happened. These were the rulers at the time. That's how they tracked time a lot along the way. And so they said, you know, when this person was the high priest, when this person was governor, okay? So he's setting the stage. He's saying, this is the exact time it happened. 
Okay? He's not saying, you know, in a galaxy far, far away, this thing might have happened. He says, no, at this time, in this place, these people were governing. This is what happened. This is what happened. He's like, fact checked me. Fact check me. Okay? Look into this. If you want to, look into it. This is when it happened. Look for yourself. And it said, the word of God came to John. Okay, this is John the Baptist. The word of God came to him. John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. So he's out there. He's in the middle of nowhere. And the word of God comes to him. And then it goes on. It said, and people from all of Judea, right? People went out to him from Jerusalem. That's a long ways to where he's at, okay? From Jerusalem and all of Judea, the whole region of the Jordan. So all these people, okay? He's setting the stage here saying, like, it's not just like 15, it's not 20, it's not 50 people, not 100 people, but like all these people from all of Judea, the whole region, all these people are coming out to see John the Baptist and figure out what is he doing? Why is he out there in the middle of nowhere down by the Jordan River? And this is kind of a long trek to get there, okay? We're going to talk about this a little bit along the way, but Jerusalem's like a day's journey, okay? It took a while. You left before sunup, you got there about sundown, and then the next day you might get to actually see what was going on because they didn't have street lights back in the day, so it's pretty dark when you get there. And so this whole thing is kind of, you know, there's a, a big buzz going on. A lot of people are there. They're trying to figure out what's this guy doing in the middle of nowhere, and that could kind of start to get... The, the Roman government a little, you know, worried because they, they didn't want this big insurrection. And every once in a while, these people would come along and they'd claim to be the Messiah. They'd claim to be something more than they actually were. And it would start kind of an uprising and people would get a little agitated. And then the government would have to step in. So they tried to work with, with the temple and be like, hey, you guys got to get control of this. Because if you can't keep control of what's going on down there, we're going to have to. And things will go from bad to worse if we have to get involved because that usually meant some bloodshed would happen. And so all of this stuff is going on, and they're kind of getting a little bit worried about the sheer numbers that's going on down there, and they've heard some weird things that John's talking about. But then it goes on, and it said that you know, all these people were down there, and they were confessing their sins at the river. Not in a van down by the river. They're just down by the river confessing their sins. And that seems a little odd, right? But to us, that might not seem odd because, you know, we talk about sin in church and, and confessing your sin to your brother and things of that nature. And, and we can kind of glance right through this in our time period. But back then, you didn't do this. Just like you didn't get baptized in the middle of a river by some guy dunking you under. It's new. It's kind of interesting. It's, it's a little bit weird. And so they're wondering, why are all these people down there? Because there's a process to sin. At this time period, there's a process to it. When you go, you go to a temple to confess sin. And you don't just confess sin to, you know, the guy wearing camel's hair who's eating bugs and honey in the back room. You go and you find someone with authority, right? A priest, or the high priest, or maybe the priest's assistant. You find someone who knows what they're doing, and there's a process to it. And depending on what type of sin you were confessing, there would be different steps you'd have to take. Maybe an animal would need to be sacrificed or, or something needed to be done to atone for it. So you had to go to somebody in authority who could kind of lead you down that path. But here are these people in the middle of nowhere, in the wilderness, confessing their sins. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River. So two things that are done 
normally in the temple. Not even normally, always done in the temple. And if you couldn't make it all the way to the temple, you went to your local synagogue and you did them there. That's where this stuff took place. And this might sound familiar if you grew up in a real strict kind of religious system where you know there's specific do's and specific don'ts. And if you go against that, you know, then you're, you're kind of, you're, you're being a radical, right? Like that's not how we do things. But John is essentially setting up his own portable temple, they thought. Like, what's this guy doing down there? And it, a buzz began to be created. And so if we jump over to a different gospel in John. Now, John, it's not John the Baptist. This is John who traveled with Jesus. Okay? He, he was with Jesus. He knew Jesus. He uh, was along with him through all the ups and the downs. And we talked last time I spoke about how uh, John describes Jesus at the beginning of his gospel. And this is what he said about John the Baptist. He said he, talking about John the Baptist, he came as a witness. He came as a witness to see and to testify concerning that light. And this is what I was talking about. We talked just before Christmas that John described Jesus as a light, that he saw all the darkness that he went through, the, the trouble, the death of his friend, and he called Jesus the light. That's how he described Jesus, a light that could not be overcome. And so he says that John the Baptist, he came as a witness to that, to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. That he himself was not the light. He knew that John knew that he was not the light, but he only came as a witness to it, to the true light that gives light to everyone, and it was coming into the world. It was coming into the world. And we talked about this, and John the Baptist, he's basically saying, like, there's someone coming. I'm not the big show. I'm not the main event, but there is someone who is coming, and everyone, everyone will see, and that light will be for everybody. And so he's setting the stage, and he's starting to testify all this stuff long before he meets Jesus. And he says this, John the Baptist testified concerning him. He cried out. So this is John's message, right? John the Baptist. He's, he was crying out saying, this is the one I spoke about. Okay, This is the one, the one that's coming. He's the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. That doesn't make any sense, does it? Like you're telling me that he who comes after me he surpassed me because he was before me, but I came first, but he came after me. So it's a little confusing, right? It sounds weird, but he's saying, listen, you got to get ready because I'm here, obviously, like you see me, you haven't seen this guy yet, but, but he was before me. He came before me, but you haven't recognized him yet. And he has far surpassed me and anything that I'm going to do or say is going to be so much better and he's coming and you've got to get ready. You better buckle up and get ready. You think what I'm doing down here is kind of creating a stir? Just wait until Jesus comes. Just wait till this guy comes. And he describes John this way, this message that John's starting to say. He, he describes it this way. He says, for the law that was given, right? The law was given through Moses. And this is very important. It's kind of like a little foreshadowing of the life of Jesus. Okay, it's, it's a little bit of a, a foreshadowing. He just kind of tosses it out there, and then he keeps going on with his story. But he says, the law was given through Moses. And the law was so, so important to the Jewish people at this time that God brought Moses up and gave him the law, gave him the commands. And this was how they lived their life. 
They lived their life by the law, and it was given through Moses. Moses was the lawgiver. There's God, and then there's Moses, and then everybody else. And the law was how they lived their life. It's how they talked to people. It defined who they talked to. It defined who they ate with, what they ate. It was how they lived their life, and they died for the law. They lived by the law, and they died for the law. That everything was wrapped up in it, and Moses is the one that brought that to them. So Moses was very, very important. But he says this, he, he kind of has a contrast. He says, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a contrast, right? Like the law was given through Moses, but I'm telling you that grace and truth, those are coming through Jesus. It's a paradox. They're, they're different. It's not a and statement. It's not, you know, Moses brought the law and Jesus is bringing this and together we'll live in a happy harmony. He says, no, this is what was and this is what is. This is what's coming. This is the next step. This is an instead of. And this is huge. And this is the tension that Jesus would fight his entire ministry. So we've got John the Baptist. He's kind of stirring the pot. Right? And the Jewish leaders at the time, they're a little concerned about the sheer number that's down there. And so they, you know, they need to figure out what's going on. Okay? So as we, we continue on, it says, now this was John's testimony. Okay, this is what John testified happened. When the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was, they needed to know, like, who is this guy? Okay, there's thousands of people down there. We need to figure out who he is. So they send these Jewish leaders, the Jewish leaders, they send some priests and Levites down. Go, go check that out. Go figure out what's going on down there. Report back to us. And so when I, when I picture this, like you see these guys, they're on a mission. And I don't know why my mind is weird, but I just picture Will Smith and like Tommy Lee Jones in black suits. And they're like, here come the men in black right? You know that song. And they're going down there to just investigate. They're like, what's going on? Like, who is this guy? We need to know who this guy is. And, and what authority does he have? Like, why does he think he can just set up shop and start baptizing people and letting people confess their sins? Like, what's the deal with this guy? Who is he? And so they get down there, and before they can even approach John and ask him the questions that they need to ask him, John freely gives it, he says this, without fail, Okay? He didn't even have to be asked, right? Without fail to confess, he confessed freely. He's like, hey, listen, I am not the Messiah. I know that's why you're down here. I know that's what you want to know, but you can tell your buddies, I'm not the Messiah. Don't worry, okay? Because if he was, then they would have to start asking him some deeper questions like, well, what makes you think you're the Messiah? Like, who told you that? Where did you get that information? He's like, no, I'm not the Messiah. Don't worry about that. And so they're like, okay, well, if you're not the Messiah, then, you know, they asked him, who are you? Are you Elijah? And that might sound weird to us, like, oh, are you Tom or you Bill? Like, they're just throwing names out now. But, but Elijah was a very important person or a figure. And so if you know much about the Bible, we've talked about this before, but the last book in the Old Testament is the book of Malachi. And he's the last recorded prophet. And after Malachi, you know, received word from God, after Malachi spoke and they recorded that down, there was just radio silence for 400 years after Malachi. So he's the last, you know, person that got word from God until 400 years later. So he kind of like bookended the Old Testament. And, and before he finished that, he told us that a man that he said, I will send a prophet, Elijah, to you before the day of the Lord comes. So before the Lord comes, 
Elijah is going to come back. And they didn't really know what that meant. Is he going to be risen from the dead or reincarnate? Like, what does that mean? But they said Elijah would be coming. So they're like, okay, well, if you're not the Messiah, are you, are you Elijah who comes before him? And he says, no, nope, it's not me. And they're like, okay, well, that's not you. I'm not him. So are you, are you the prophet maybe? Because Moses kind of spoke a lot about this prophet who would come and, and uh, you know, before God, and he's going to do something big and, and kind of start this thing off. And he's like, nope, sorry, wrong again. And so at this point, they're probably getting a little frustrated, right? It's sort of like interviewing the greatest coach of all time, Bill Belichick, after winning the AFC championship this past Sunday. I don't know if you were there. But, you know, when you ask him questions, he just gives the, the, the lamest answers, right? Like, nope, nope, nope. So they're getting frustrated, like, who are you then? Who are you, and what gives you the right to come down here and do all this stuff? They said this, who are you? Who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. Like, we can't go back empty-handed. We need to know a little bit about who you are. We know who you're not. So what do you say about yourself? Tell us a little bit. Who are you? They couldn't go back empty-handed. So they tried a different approach. They're like, okay, well, we can't guess who you are, so you tell us. Who are you? And John replied this. He, he, he was so smart. He said this. He used the words of Isaiah the prophet. He replied. He said, I am the voice. I'm just a voice. I'm not the, I'm not the prophet. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the one that you're seemingly worried about. I'm just the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. He, he quotes back to them scripture Words that they knew, that they lived by. They said, I'm the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. I'm just a voice. I'm nobody compared to what's coming. But I'm telling you, make straight the way for the Lord. Get your life ready. Get ready because big change is coming. Make straight the path, okay? Get your life in order because there's one coming that, that you don't even know, that you don't even understand how powerful he is going to be. And I'm letting people confess their sins in preparation of what is to come. And so the Pharisees, they said this. So now the Pharisees come. Okay, They'd been sent to question him. They came down. They said, well, then why do you baptize if you're not the Messiah? Like, why do you think that it's okay? You're not Elijah. You're not the prophet. Like, what gives you the authority to do this? You have no education. No one granted you the privilege of being able to do this. You don't have a denominational backing, right? Like you call yourself John the Baptist, but that's not even a thing yet. And so what gives you the authority to be down here? Who said you could do this? And instead of answering it, he's just like, yeah, you know, I, I baptize with water, John replied. I use water. And they're like, obvious. That's the river right there, right? And he said, but among you, someone among you, He's already here. He's among you, and he stands, and you don't even know him. But among you stands one that you don't know, and he is the one who comes after me. And I'm telling you, the straps whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He says, listen, someone's coming. He's already walking among you. You haven't met him yet. You haven't seen him yet. And maybe you have, but you didn't know. But I'm telling you, I can't even untie his sandals. And sandals were gross in this time period, okay? Because there's dust everywhere. There's dirt. And he's like, I can't even touch those things. That's how unworthy I am. I'll give you something to take back to your bosses. 
Tell them this, that there's someone coming that they don't even know he's here, but he is so, he's something to be worried about. He's somebody. He's someone that I can't even untie his sandals. I'm nobody, but you better get ready. Tell that to the guys up on the hill. Tell that to those guys. But when, and so they went back, and they were a little worried, and so they went back and they kind of explained, like, I, we don't really know who he is. He's not Elijah. He's not the prophet. Like, he's just, he said he baptizes with water, and, you know, someone else is coming, but we haven't seen him yet, and we don't really know. And so they're not satisfied with that. So they need to figure it out for themselves, okay? So they, they, they take off for themselves. Now, this is a big deal, that the leaders, the head guys of the temple, they're like, all right, we need to go down there and figure this out on our own at this point. So they head down, and when they go, it's not just a couple of guys on some donkeys. They bring the whole, like, the whole kit and caboodle. They're all down there, and they have tents set up. It's this whole entourage, and it's a day's journey, and they set up shop, and they're going down. They got their fancy robes, right, with the tassels, and they're just all ready. They're clean. Like, they smell good, and then you have John, who's like, wild-haired, looked out. He probably hasn't showered in days. They don't even have showers, but he probably bathed in the Jordan River, and he smelled like he'd been outside his whole life because that's where he lived. And they approach John, and before they even get to him, before they even get to him, he sees him kind of coming down the mountainside to ask him questions, and they, he doesn't even give them the opportunity. He just yells to them. He points to them, and he says, "'You brood of vipers!' Could you imagine someone calling you that? When you walk into a room, that's the first thing that they say. You brood of vipers. Who warned you? Like, who told you? Who invited you to come down here? Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Like, who let you know about what I'm doing down here? Produce fruit. That's huge. In keeping with repentance. He's saying this to religious leaders, people who their actual job was to be good right? Their job is to know the laws. Their job is to know what to do and what not to do. They're supposed to be the best of the best. And he's telling them to keep with repentance and produce fruit. Produce fruit. Get your life in order. And the Bible talks a lot about producing fruit. A tree is healthy when it's producing fruit, right? If a tree is not producing fruit, it's probably dying. It's not healthy. But when it's producing fruit, it's healthy. And he's saying that that comes when you repent of what you're doing, because you have been sinning. You need to prepare yourself because the days are coming. Right now you live in a, in, a, in a world where you can have all these loopholes and you guys debate your laws up on the hill and you come up with loopholes and, and you have all this wealth and all this stuff. But I'm telling you, you need to flee from the coming wrath because you know what you've been doing and you need to change. Produce fruit, change your life. And it's funny that we don't get anything else from this. If you read this, John basically goes up one side and down the other of them, and they're just like, all right. And they turn around and they leave. They don't even ask him a question. They've gotten all they need. They turn around with their tails between their legs, and they go home. No interaction. It's like they don't even acknowledge what he said. They just turn around and leave. Probably thinking, how does he know? How does he know? And it says, this all happened at Bethany, okay, on the other side of the Jordan. So Luke, again, he's giving us, or John, he's giving us, you know, narrative on where this happened, on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing people. And the next day, so the very next day, John saw Jesus. There it is. 
That's Jesus. He's stepping on to the pages of history as an adult. His ministry is beginning. And it's just so simple. He just says it like it's nothing. John saw Jesus coming toward him. He just sees him coming towards him. You know, it's, he doesn't have this entourage. There's no tents. There's no band playing. He just he saw Jesus. He saw him coming. And it said this. He said, look, look. Not, hey, I think that's, or hey, that might be that guy. Or that, that could be, but I, I'm not really sure. He says, look, look, there he is. Look, the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. In, in this time period, a lamb was used for sacrifice, right? That, that God provided this lamb, that there he is. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is a huge, huge statement that we can't overstate that enough. That the Lamb that God has provided, there he is. He's come to take away the sins of the world, not just the sins of the Jewish people, but the sins of the whole world. And in the middle of nowhere, thousands of people gathered around and they see him say, that's, that's the, a lamb? Like God sent that lamb to us? You're telling that this guy coming towards us is going to like atone for the sins of the entire world? Like, do you, do you not know our history? Like, we're Jewish people, and, like, we don't like them, and they don't like us. Like, our laws say we can't marry them, and they don't marry us. Like, we don't even invite them in our house, and we don't, you know, eat dinner with them at all. Like, they're, they're those people. God is for us. He's not for them. He helps us, you know, when they overtake us, he helps us overtake them back. But you're telling us that God is going to forgive the sins of the whole world through this guy? Like, what is, that doesn't even make any sense. Like, my sin, I, I get. You can, you can atone for my sin. Like, I'm good with that. But, but that guy over there, like, why are you doing that? Why is he going to do that? We have a messy history with other nations. And this is the tension that Jesus would fight through his whole life. From here on out, that Jesus, through his time on earth, he would have to struggle with this. And maybe it's kind of confusing to us, but Jesus came as a bridge. He was a bridge between the old covenant and the new covenant. And that can be a little bit confusing. And so as me and Jim talked about this, I was like, Jim, there's some things that we're going to talk about these next couple of weeks that might be a little weird for people to try to process. It might seem a little odd, but Jesus came to bridge the gap between two completely different worldviews, an old covenant that God made between himself and a nation, a specific group of people who had a specific you know, outlook on life, a specific uh, you know, set of, of rules that they lived by, and that's what God made with them. And Jesus came under that. He was born under one covenant in order to introduce the other, a new covenant where God would make it with a whole new people. And the, uh, Israel kind of lost sight of what God's goal was, that God made a promise to a man named Abraham. And I know we've talked about Abraham like a million times up here, but he made a promise to Abraham that through Abraham, he would have a family and that family would become a nation. And ultimately, that would bless the entire world. And Israel, somewhere along the line, lost track of that and thought that they were God's chosen people. And that was sort of the way it would end. 
but they were just a vehicle that Jesus and that God would use to get them to this next stage, this next covenant. And that original old covenant had an expiration date. And Jesus would begin something new. He would replace it. That the covenant that God made between God and man through Moses, when he gave him all 600 of those commandments, that that would have an end. And that Jesus would come and introduce something new, a new command, a new way of doing things, a new covenant. But change is hard, right? We know change is hard. We deal with it every day, some of us at work. And, and those who profit the most, right, those who profit the most from status quo are the least inclined to let it go, okay? They're the least inclined. When they benefit from it, it's hard to let that go. And the temple system was so corrupt, and Jesus had nothing good to say about it. And we're going to get to all that in a few weeks, but he had nothing good to say about it because the temple system, it was wealthy, it was corrupt, it was powerful, and it had all of this stuff, and Jesus is coming to fight against it, and he's saying, I'm bringing something brand new, brand new, and it was a turning point, point. and that same temple system that he fought against would ultimately turn and try to crucify him, and when they thought that it was all done, when they thought it was buried away, it wasn't. And we know that that's not the end. And we're not going to talk about that this morning because we've got a lot more to cover. But, but we knew that Jesus came to start something new. So as we wrap this up, we're going to talk. There's three things that Jesus kind of brought in. We're going to close with this. And I'm just going to hit these fast because this is what we're going to be talking about the next several weeks. Is he established three new things. The first is a new covenant. He established a new covenant, one that would replace the old one. That everything between Exodus and Malachi in your Old Testament, that covenant between God and a specific nation, would come to an end. That Jesus would put a fork in it because it's done. The timer has dinged. It's finished. And Jesus came to bring something so much bigger. And it's why it's sort of hard for us to reconcile the Old Testament and the New. That they seem like they're not totally in harmony. And that's because Jesus never said that they would be. Jesus never came and said, like, this is a perfect continuation on. He said, this, that is done, and this is the new covenant that God has made between God and man, all of humanity. Because the Bible, it's God's word, and we struggle with that, right? We know that the Bible is God's word, but not every word in the Bible is for everybody. And that might seem weird, right? That, wait, I thought the Bible's God's word and we, we're God's children and we follow every word in it. But not every word is meant for everybody. And that's why Jesus came to create something brand new. And if you've maybe walked away from faith because of something you read in the Old Testament, maybe, just maybe, you should come back and check it out because maybe Jesus has something different to say about it. Maybe Jesus has something new for you. The second thing is he came to introduce a new command, a new command. If you've ever made, uh, made syrup before, I've never done it, but I've seen you know, videos of people doing it. You gather up all kinds of sap, right? Like gallons, hundreds of gallons of sap, and then you boil it down and you get what? Like a little tiny jar of some like golden goodness, right? Like the good stuff. And in our house, we have like real maple syrup. And then when I use syrup, I use a ton of it. So I get the fake stuff a lot of time because I just use so much of it because it's so expensive, right? It's, it's like the best of the best when you get real maple syrup, right? And so Moses, he had, you know, all 600 plus of these commands, 
right? All of these commands. And Jesus comes along and he boils it down to basically two commands. And then he goes a little further and brings it down to basically one command. And we're going to see this in a couple weeks where Jesus is constantly fighting this battle because Moses was here and then Jesus was down here for people. And they're like, wait, what are you talking about? Moses said this. And Jesus, in his most famous sermon, he would say this. You know, you've heard it said this, but I say this. Like you've heard it said, yep, Moses said that, by the way, but I say this. And so he completely contradicts it. And he says, I, I know what you've heard. I know what the old covenant is. But I'm saying this. I'm saying this. And that single command that Jesus boils it down to, and we're not going to let you know what that is today. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But we're going to cover that in a few weeks. But all of that would be the driving force that would launch the church into what the last thing, a new movement that Jesus would start. A new movement. And it all began when Jesus met up with John down by the Jordan River. And he looked at John and he said, John, I need you to baptize me. I need you to baptize me. And John's thinking, did I, did I hear you right? Like, you want to baptize me, right, Jesus? I can't baptize you. Like, I can't even untie your sandals. And you want me to baptize you? There's no way. I can't do that. And he says, no, John, I need you to do this because I need people to identify what we're doing. I need them to know that we're on the same page in this. We're going to kick this thing off. And so John, he says, he agrees, and he baptizes his friend Jesus. And a movement begins to take place that would never stop. It's what brought us all here this morning. It started when John baptized Jesus, when that kicked off something completely brand new, something that the world was not ready for, that the world had no clue what was beginning. It kicked off a movement that would spread like wildfire across the region, across the world. And that promise that God made to Abraham would come to fruition, that God's chosen people would get them to the next step where Jesus could come in and create that new covenant and all the sin of the whole world would be forgiven through one man in his sacrifice. But before we get to that, before we get to all of that, Next week's part two, because before we get to Jesus' death, there's a whole lot more we need to uncover. There's more stories. There's more diseases to be healed. There's more people to be raised from the dead. There's tables to be flipped over. And so I invite you guys to come back next week as we finish part two of our series, or not finish, as we go to part two of our 12-week series called 90. Would you guys pray with me? God, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to gather like this, God. We thank you for the newness that you brought so many years ago and how new it is to us still today. I pray that people's hearts will be captured by this, that they will see Jesus in a whole new light and give him a second chance this morning. God, I pray you be with people this week as they go. Pray that uh, we will open our Bibles, that we will begin to read the words of your son, Jesus, and that we can let them penetrate our hearts and see change like never before. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.